Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad Anul Pollat. Welcome to today's episode. I wanted to give you an idea of where this episode, where the genesis sort of started, at least for me. I, like many of us, have been hearing and seeing Ukraine and the war in the news constantly. And every time, almost every time I see a journalist pronounce one of the city names, it's always different. And so it got me wondering, how do we actually pronounce the capital of Ukraine? How do we pronounce Kharkiv, Kharkiv, Charkiv? There are so many different variations, but it turns out, obviously, there is a right way to say these places. And there's also an important reason to say those names correctly and a history behind it. So joining me on today's podcast to help answer some of these questions and walk down the history of these names and and where these names have come from and why the spelling of Kiev, 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 you're going to get the answer in the podcast, but why that spelling has changed. We see it less as K-I-E-V and now it's K-Y-I-V, why it's not the Ukraine and it's Ukraine. We get into all of that. Irena is a journalist specializing in broadcast from northeastern Poland who spent 23 years working for Radio Free Europe in Germany, Ukraine, and the Czech Republic as a director of the Ukrainian service. She also worked for the Atlantic Council think tank and was a Fulbright scholar in Ukraine during 2016 to 2017. During her Fulbright tenure, Irena recorded video interviews with former Ukrainian political prisoners and worked in the Gonchar Nipro State and Kharkiv Karazin University's training students in radio journalism. As a result of her efforts, both universities launched student radio stations, which continue to function to this day. Since 2016, Irena has worked with the Stop Fake Fact Checking website as an editor and producer responsible for Stop Fake's English language page. She's also a member of the Washington, D.C. area Ukrainian National Women's League of America branch number 78 and is currently the branch chairwoman. This is a very fascinating conversation. I think you're going to find it very informative. You're going to learn a lot. And it might be a little bit odd to talk about semantics in a time of war, but it is important and it does carry a lot of historical weight. And I thought it was important for me and to share that with you to understand why that's the case. I hope you enjoy this interview. All right. Thank you, Irena, for joining me on today's episode. Um, I wanted to talk to you about something which may seem inconsequential considering that there is a war going on. But it's about the semantics. Um, because as I hear on the news, I've heard, for example, the word Kiev, pronounced Kiev, and Kiev. And I, I at first I thought maybe the journalists who are reporting on this are getting it incorrect. You know, the, the pronunciation mm -hmm. is incorrect. But I've, I've come to learn that that's not the case. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about why the pronunciation is different. How do we pronounce that city and why the spelling of it has also changed now for a lot of English speakers from K-I-E-V to K-Y-I-V. Right. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Anil. Um, the, practically everyone mispronounces the Ukrainian capital. And I find that really quite shocking because these are big multimedia companies, NPR, CNN. It's very easy to sort of Google things, uh, find pronunciation guides online. And there are plenty of people who are Ukrainians um, who live in America who would be more than happy to help with the pronunciation to sort of understand why the spelling has changed and why Ukrainians are uh, sensitive about how the 
how their capital is pronounced, you need a little bit of history. Ukraine has basically been enslaved by Russia for many, 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 many years, for centuries, actually. Eastern Ukraine was part of the Tsarist Russian Empire for over 300 years. Uh, the Russian system, whether it was imperial or Soviet, uh, went out of their way to annihilate Ukrainian culture, Ukrainian, uh, the Ukrainian language, and so forth and so on. The spelling that we've been used to in the West, Kiev, is the Russian way of pronouncing the, the name of Ukraine's capital. And just a little bit of sort of potted and quick history, uh, the name Kiev comes from history. Uh, historically, we have been taught that the city was founded by three brothers and a sister, Kay, Shchek, and Khoriv, and their sister's name was Libit. And the city that they founded, that the, the eldest brother, whose name was Kay, founded was named Kiev in honor of his name. Now, Kiev is the Russian way of pronouncing the uh, name of the city. It's the Russian. It's the Russian word for for uh, Kyiv. After Ukrainian independence, Ukrainians all over the world started paying a little bit more attention to how their names were being pronounced and how they were being spelled. So there was a concerted effort to stop using uh, the article the. Uh, you may recall there was a time when people said the Ukraine. Well, the Ukraine is wrong, always has been. And thankfully, that is something that people have abandoned. And uh, everyone now says Ukraine because the Ukraine kind of relegates it to some sort of small little region. It's, it's an outpost of something and it's not a proper country. It's not a separate uh, entity in and of its own right. In Ukrainian, the capital is pronounced Kyiv. It's two syllables and most of the newscasters, moderators, um, presenters, anchors mispronounce it. They say Kyiv. NPR, I, I sent them a really irate letter because they all say Kyiv. It's not. It, it is two syllables. Kyiv. The first A sound is like in the word big. And uh, the ending, sort of like yield, the same sound, except with a V at the end. Kyiv. Some people use a kind of a drier way of saying it. Kyiv, which I think is not very nice sounding. So uh, Kyiv, it's it's quite easy, Kyiv. So NPR, listen up, get it right. And there's also this city in the West, which uh, I will mispronounce, uh, Lviv, Lviv, which is, yes. Uh -huh. And is it yes. the same situation there where? That's a little bit of a tougher one because um, in Ukrainian, we have something called the soft sound. It's a little letter that looks like the number six. And if you put that letter after a consonant, it softens the consonant. So an N will be a Ñ, like, uh, like the Spanish with the tilde, you know, in manana. Uh, an L will become a L, an S will become a Ş. And this is how Lviv is spelled. It's L and then the soft sound and V-I-V. So the closest that I can think of uh, is Lviv. So it's kind of, you almost have to put in some sort of a vowel in between Lviv. Uh, but the proper way is just a L, like a, I call them a wet L's, you know, so it's a wet L and Viv. And it's like, like Viv, you know, Viva la France or something like that. I mean, I think if people just practice a little bit and concentrate, it'll be easier. What really gets, gets my goat, well, everything gets my goat sometimes, but um, 
accents, for example. Another city that has been in the news is a city called Kharkiv, which is in eastern Ukraine. It's 30 kilometers from the Russian, Russian border, and it's been battered by, by the Russian army considerably. And everyone says Kharkiv, Kharkiv, and that's just wrong. It's Kharkiv. The accent is on the first syllables. Yeah, to play devil's advocate, so let's say Germany, in English is Germany, in German it's Deutschland, and there are many countries, obviously, and when you change it to English, you know, there's a different right. version. How is this different? Um, how is it different, for example, let's say if Kiev is the, the quote-unquote English way or the Russian mm -hmm. way that's been Anglified, how is that different? And, and uh, you know, why is that important? Well, I think it's important because the country has a right to ask the world to pronounce its name and its cities a certain way. Uh, we used to call Burma, Burma until it became Myanmar. Uh, everybody used to say Peking until it became Beijing. So I fully believe that it's the country's right to have a say in how its names how the names of their cities and how the name of the country is pronounced. Uh, it's as simple as that. And is there a Do you, good... Don't you think that's reasonable? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, Turkey is going through this in their tourism right now, where they're mm -hmm. trying to change it to the Turkish way to say Turkey, which is Turkey, um, mm -hmm. which I, I don't know if it will stick because... But who knows? It, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Well, it's... When you, th when you think back about where these names and pronunciations began, what were they driven by? A lot of times these were issues of empire, issues of control. And, um, and so I fully support people's um, country's rights to have a say in how they are perceived um, in their names. I think, um, I think it's... Uh, I think it's right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about Turkey. Um, you know, Turkey is a free country. Nobody is is persecuting Turkey. Turkey has Turkey determines how what Turkey is and how it should be perceived and viewed by by people. Is it important for it to be to, to you know in in Germans Turkai? How is it in Turkish? Turkey. Uh, Turkey, Turkey. Well, I can tell you, Americans are going to have a really hard time without you with the you know with the umlauts. So there's yeah. going to be a lot of linguistic butchery about. <laughs> and when you look at the history, it's about it's literally about the bird. So it's kind of an interesting history. There are a couple of countries in the world that when you change their name, it means Turkey. And it's all because mm -hmm. of the, the actual bird, So yeah. um, which yeah. is less um, obviously less important politically uh, than, than it is in, in, in Ukraine's situation. Mm -hmm. um, what are what are some good resources? Where can people find out how to pronounce these names? You know, a lot of it is just as simple as doing a Google search. I have seen a couple of videos where linguists have done little presentations, how to pronounce Kiev and various other things. Um, if that uh, fails, you know, type in, if you're somewhere, type just type in Ukrainian organizations in the area and... Um, and you'll find somebody and uh, you can reach out to them and they will help you. Uh, I think that that's probably the easiest. I don't know of any uh, complete guide um, to pronunciation. Um, 
I have to say that certain things have changed and become um, a little bit easier. For example, uh, when Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, you and your listeners probably know that the communists had a penchant for naming cities after their big dealers, you know, big communists. So there was Dzerzhinsky, who was the founder of the secret police, Felix Dzerzhinsky. He had several cities named after him. Uh, Dzerzhinsky, that's already a mouthful, right? Um, we had a city in Ukraine called the Dnipro Dzerzhinsk. Ain't nobody in their right mind able to pronounce that except a native. So that was, thankfully, they changed the name to that, uh, of that city. Um, so, yeah, there's still an awful lot of work to do. Ukraine, uh, is since the Russians first invaded Ukraine in, in 2014 and took Crimea and occupied swathes of territory in the east, Ukraine underwent this, um, not it's not a completed process, but they have been decommunizing. So they've been changing names of their cities from communist names to something that has more of a historic connection to, to the area, to the people, um, using uh, historic figures, for example, to, um, to, to name cities, <clears throat> excuse me, and so forth. So they've been, I don't, I'm not sure if any of the motivation for changing these names is driven by making it easier for foreigners to pronounce, unlikely, but um, it's more of a, a kind of a writing a historic wrong uh, situation. So, but I think, um, I th yeah, I think people have a right to determine uh, what they want their cities and towns to be called. And is this a debate about the pronunciations? I guess debate in the in the English media, I'll say, is that something that is being highlighted now because of the war, or is this something that has been kind of going on in the Ukrainian community, trying to bring awareness to these names and the semantics, um, but it's just gotten more recognition now, or is it something that's a new, uh, a sort of topic? Well, by virtue of the war. All Ukrainian names are in um, in in the center of, of people's attention. Uh, the Ukrainian diaspora, the Ukrainian emigrate community, has been very very vocal and um, and quite active about having the removed and uh, having the capital spelled the Ukrainian way. Um, but I would generally say that the Western media has a difficulty with certain foreign names. Um, whether it's names of cities, um, surnames, there is just a difficulty. They butcher Russian names as well. Um, there are a lot of sports people who are quite, um, quite big, like Sharapova, for example. They pronounce her as Sharapova. And, um, and I just don't think that it's so difficult to find either a native speaker or someone who is who speaks Russian fluently um, to to say these things properly, uh, let's, and the Ukrainian as well. For example, you know, Volodymyr, the name of the Ukrainian president, his first name is Volodymyr. The Russian variant of that name is Vladimir. I've heard them, I've heard people say on, you know, <laughs> um, high profile, big media companies, uh, call him Vladimir, which I'm sure that he would not be particularly happy about at this point. So it's just, do you know how many times people say, call me Irina, which is the Russian way of pronouncing my name, even though I deal with them, they see how I spell it. And um, 
they never do it um, do it properly. I think it's just a certain amount of um, English speaking laziness. Um, if it ain't John, it's complicated for them. So it's um, a way to try to to try to learn these names. Um, so yeah, I, th I think that uh, they need to pay a little bit more attention to it. The producers have to stop being so lazy and, and do a little bit of legwork and get it right. But I think clearly every time there's a conflict, these kinds of issues become maybe a little bit more pronounced. Uh, I mean, obviously pronunciation takes second place to, uh, to the war. I mean, we want the war to stop and people, we want the Russians to stop killing Ukrainians and get the hell out of the country. And then we'll worry about pronunciation. But, uh, you know, sometimes the two go step in step. Yeah, and I always thought, and I, when I watch sports, when I watch the news, and I hear a name mispronounced or just pronounced differently by everybody, I'm like, they don't know how to pronounce this name yeah. or this place. I always thought, and I think, you know, a big news organization should have just a linguist on hand like that should Absolutely. just be standard but Absolutely. it seems like it's definitely not the case mm -hmm. and so you kind of ask yourself why is that is that do they do they not place any importance on this uh, or is it just uh, carelessness is it intentional I, I don't think it's intentional i think it's i think it's just laziness in a, in a hurry to sort of get the story out do you remember uh when the Saudi journalist was murdered, Khashoggi. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Well, some said, some, some presenters, some newscasters said Khashoggi, others said Khashoggi. It, it's, um, to this day, I don't know what the proper way of, of pronouncing his, that poor name, poor man's name is. So uh, yeah, I think, uh, I, I do, I believe that this is an important thing. Yeah. Obviously, I you know it's not the number one issue, but it is important. It's part of the story. It always is part of the story. Yeah, and I think you know, transitioning into to your work at Stopfake, I honestly think that it makes you not trust the media as much when they can't get a name right. I mean, uh, it's mm -hmm. a basic thing. You're especially if you're a native speaker, and you hear them, and you go, if they can't get the name right, like if they didn't do that tiny bit of research. Mm -hmm. What else are they getting wrong? I think it feeds into that narrative that we can't trust the media, which is going on a lot now. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Anil. I never actually thought of that until you pointed it out. And yeah, it um, it absolutely is the case. Um, so hopefully they'll be a little bit more careful about these kinds of things in the future. So. And speaking of misinformation, which mm. is kind of a big thing thing these days <laughs> oh, you know we have access, understatement <laughs> <laughs> we have access to literally all the information we want whether it's true or not right we can google anything and get an answer to our question and it the answer can agree with us how do we know something is real and something is fake how do we like just take a basic a, a general massive question like that how do we know <clears throat> well there are several ways of doing it uh, first of all you you should never turn off your critical thinking uh, switch that should always be on and and common sense as well we can all get lost 
in some sort of an echo chamber of our own invention, um, of someone else's invention. We can go into some sort of a comfort zone, with, whether it's a comfort zone of truth or a comfort zone of lies. Um, we can all choose to do that. However, um, I believe that a person really has to be as open-minded as possible in today's day and age. There is a way of finding the truth if you just spend a little bit of time and actually not a huge amount of time. People, there's this, um, there's this kind of backlash from radical right um, groups in America and probably the world over against what they call the mainstream media, the lying mainstream media. Well, I'm sorry, but the mainstream media get it right more often than they get it wrong. And they continue to do that. These are, you know, the New York Times, CNN, the Washington Post, LA Times, all of our major newspapers have been around for many, many, many years. And they know the formula. They know how it works. Uh, how it works. They, I trust them up to a point. Um, of course, you know, there are mistakes. People, uh, people make mistakes. Uh, some journalists lie, they are outed and then fired, obviously. We've seen that happen at the New York Times. But generally, their information is reliable, it's fact-checked, and it's true. There are also steps and procedures that media go through to verify information. I think people don't understand that. I worked with a journalist from, from the New Yorker a couple of years ago, helping him with some translations and, um, and a few other things uh, about a story that was Ukraine-based, Ukraine-driven. And it is amazing what how rigorous the editorial process is at that publication. I think a lot of people would be very surprised about that. Um, how much back and forth there is uh, between editors and fact checkers and the writers and so forth and so on. So people are extremely, extremely careful about, uh, about these stories. I, I, as a consumer of news, I have several sources that I trust. Ukrainian sources, um, British sources, American sources, German sources. And I have to go back to the, the classic media. The classic media, I think, do a decent job. There are, in the last 10 years or so, we've had a lot of new media pop up, you know, publications like the Daily Beast, a lot of these aggregator sites and so forth and so on. They are very interesting because they give you a selection of different types of viewpoints. The, uh, a publication can be liberal, another publication can be conservative and so forth and so on. I have um, no specific advice to offer to people, but my basic advice would be think if you read something and it sounds it sounds somewhat outrageous it probably is outrageous for a reason because somebody wants to sway you into thinking a certain way don't take just one story or one headline or one viewpoint as as, as fact, it's not etched in stone. Check other sites out, do a, do a little bit of searching. Don't be, don't be, uh, don't be gullible. Don't be gullible, uh, put on your thinking hat. You know, as I said, make sure your critical thinking switches on and, uh, and just learn as much as you can. This is, you know, with Google, 
and various other search engines and so forth and so on. We have a lot of real and true information at our disposal. So don't be lazy. Don't eat the lies that you are being fed because it's really bad for your health. It, it, is, it will not only make you stupid and a tool of somebody, it will, it also, um, it also, uh, it, it's bad for your psychological health to believe in lies and to, and to sort of live in a community of lies. You are weakened by that because then you are being manipulated by those lies. And if you are being manipulated, you're not in control of yourself. You're not in control of your destiny. You're not in control of your life. People can do things with you that are extremely, extremely dangerous. Look at people in Russia don't believe that there's a war going on in Ukraine. They believe that there are Nazis running around the country, you know, killing Russians. <laughs> it's just, and it just is not happening. It just, but they believe it. And this is the danger, you know, we, we are just one step away from the equivalent, the modern day equivalent of Nazi Germany. And it seems like the bigger the lie, the more inclined we are as a public to believe it because we can't believe that someone could tell such a big lie right mm -hmm. so uh, I wonder how do we get out of this cycle and how do we you know how do we it seems like the lies would get smaller with misinformation but it mm -hmm. it really no, does seem they, like it's, they get bigger right they get, they get bigger yeah they get bigger and I'm not really sure why they get bigger but they do get bigger and I have to my personal view is that the Trump presidency fed into that very much, very much. The big lie that people are still repeating ad nauseum that Trump won the election and it was stolen by Biden. You don't steal elections in America. OK, it, just, it does not happen. We don't have voter fraud. These things are just contrived fakes. And you are absolutely right. The more you repeat it, the more it becomes, well, it doesn't become real, but you kind of get used to it. So suddenly there it is, you know, there it is, it's the 400 pound gorilla or whatever that expression is. And, and you're, you're skirting around it. And when Donald Trump was president, when, when his campaign of lies, what, his campaign of lies uh, was there uh, during the campaign, but these I don't know if, if everybody was afraid to say the president of the United States is lying. I was, you know, I was, I was as I was reading newspapers, watching, watching news and so forth and so on, the word lie was never used. They never used the word lie. Nobody called him a liar, which is what he was and what he continues to be. It was only later as his presidency was winding down and it became clear that he thankfully was not reelected, that the word started to be used. And I think that that is very, very important. You have to call things by their names. A lie is a lie. It's not a um, artificial truth. There's no such thing. It's like when, when um, What's it? Kellyanne Conway came up with alternative facts. What the hell is that? <laughs> Snow is white. Okay, that's a fact. 
And there's nothing in the world that can change that, except maybe a dog, you know, so then it becomes yellow. But it's, <laughs> but these kinds of things, when we're going into this Orwellian speak, we're going into very, very dangerous territory, because then everything is manipulative, manipulative capable to be uh, able to be manipulated you know everything is malleable everything is fake everything has the potential to be a fake now mind you you know we live in a world of certain fakes but they're not quite fakes it's sort of artifice like you know i'm gray but i dye my hair blonde so it's fake hair women have beautiful nails that are fake you know all sorts of things uh, people get facial um, surgery so they look young but maybe they're a lot older all of this sort of stuff but these are not fakes that kill people do you know what i mean these are fakes that improve people's lives and give them a little bit more self-confidence or so or i don't know if you're a hollywood star they get you jobs uh, but um but these kinds of other dangerous fakes i think they're going to be around for a long time now with video manipulation, with these deep fakes, it's very, it's a dangerous time, I believe. And, um, and I think people have to be vigilant. You know, you really have to be vigilant. You have to be vigilant and you shouldn't trust everything simply because it's there, you know, sim simply because you found it online. Um, the internet is a cesspool of lies, but it is also, um, you know, a great island of truth. You just have to know where to look and you have to be vigilant and careful. And and how does a fact-checking organization check facts? I, 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 I've always wondered that, like how, you know. Yeah, you know, uh, our fact-checkers work the way all fact-checkers work. You do searches, you sort of, you cross-reference things. Um, if there's a claim made by, let's say, a Russian minister or some public figure or whatever, accusing X, Y, and Z of something, you go to the source, you go to the person that's being accused, you go to the, you go to their website, you, you reach out to them, you get comments, you, you double check. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of like gossip. If, if somebody, if your friend comes to you and you say, Oh, did you, you know, I think Joe is uh, sleeping with his best friend's wife or something like that, or they've stolen money. You kind of, there, there are ways. And a lot of it is very, very sort of common sense. You, you don't believe it until you see it. Um, you know, the Bible and St. Thomas, you know, and so, but there, there are standard, um, there are standard ways of doing it. You, you go to the source, you double check, you, um, you try to find direct quotes. A lot of times fakes are not necessarily some sort of a concocted story, but a phrase taken out of context. So you go, let's say a speech, for example, that was given by a president or a congressman or a senator or something like that. And um, you go and you read the complete text and you can see what this phrase actually means and what this person actually actually meant uh, we recently had a um had a fake where they took a phrase out of one of biden's speeches where and they claimed that biden was accusing of ukraine of not being prepared for the war or sort of disregarding warning signs and so forth and so on and it was just they took again it was it was one phrase taken completely out of context um uh, also the more outrageous the headline, the more likely it is to be a fake. So beware of uh, these headlines because they're clickbait. You know, they want you to come in and read some of these things. And I, I, 
I play games with myself um, when it comes to certain Russian things, for example, when I'm checking and I'm working on a story and I check the original and I go, I go back to uh, their original and more often than not, the source that they send you back to is not the person that they're quoting. It's not the organization that they're quoting. It's another one of their stories that is uh, one of the sources of the fake. So it's like an onion. You got to keep peeling it, peeling it, peeling it until you get back, to, uh, until you get to some semblance or kernel of truth. And sometimes there's nothing there. It's just, it's complete, it's a complete fall fallacy. So, um, just again, I have to say it's, it has to be common sense. You know, you really have to rely on, on your common sense and general knowledge. Um, you have to know a little bit of history. I think, you know, we live in a day and age where we need to be better educated um, as not just as citizens, but as consumers of news. We if something sounds like a crazy story, then it is a crazy story. It's probably not true. It's interesting you mentioned that because I think in Sweden, I'm pretty sure I had read that they now have it as part of their curriculum in schools and in, yes. I think at a very early age, how to decipher media, yeah. um, which I think it's, is an it's interesting. It's called thing. media uh, media literacy, they call it. And uh, and actually, I believe on, Stop Fake, um, on our website, on the Stop Fake website, we have a couple of tools uh, for recognizing um recognizing fakes and how you should um, how you should process information and um, there are like um, what is it Tenai, which is a um, reverse image site uh, uh, reverse image search um, engine database and um, so there are a lot of tools out there people just have to uh, educate themselves about them and um, and just stop reading trashy sites you know stop reading trashy sites another this is a nobody's actually said this, but my experience has been if a site, a news site of any sort, if all they do is scream and shout, you know, if they speak in these, you know, very, very raised tones and everything's excited and, and, and semi hysterical, it's bound to be fake. It's bound to be BS. <laughs> it's a good, good, uh, I guess, uh, litmus test. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned some of the software tools. I was going to ask you about that because it does mention on, on your on stop fake site that software tools are used and that mm -hmm. sort of piqued my interest. Like what kind of tools, how do we, what, what's being used to decipher? Well, Tenai is a good one. Uh, that's one of these reverse image um, uh, uh, tools. And if you see a photograph and uh, it is purported to be, I don't know, uh, let's say, uh, uh, if you see a photograph that you have some doubts about, just uh, copy it and put it into this into this tool and it will, this tool has the capacity to get to the original. Now, mind you, not everything is there. They have a limited amount of photographs, but that is there. Um, Quotes. I mean, Google does a very, very reasonable job of finding real quotes. Um, but the the image site, I think, is is very, very important because stories are illustrated with images, with photographs, and very often, particularly in Russian media, the photographs that they use have nothing to do with the story, absolutely nothing. With the, they are. 
uh, an image that is taken from a completely different place. For example, photographs from Syria have been used to illustrate fake stories um, since the war began in Ukraine. Um, I'm not an expert in these uh, in these things, but I have used tin eye several times to identify identify photographs. Um, you know, the average person isn't going to be doing all of this sort of stuff. Um, fact checkers will be will be using these tools more than than the average person. The average person just has to be a little bit more skeptical about everything that they read. Yeah, and I think there's a sort of alluring factor to getting alternative news, right? Like, oh, I know something that other people don't. So while they're looking at the major news sites, I'm looking at this other website and I know the truth, but other people don't, you know, because there's this human nature to follow follow the crowd, but there's also a good feeling when we rebel. And I feel like that's part of it, you know, to say, Oh, I'm not watching what everyone else is watching. I get, you know, the secret news. So I, I, I kind of have a knowledge which is unique and maybe more valuable. Um, and I think the internet makes that very possible because everybody can put an opinion online. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's all out there. Um, one of the more controversial things I have ever posted, which I didn't think at the time, was whether or not you can see the curvature of the Earth when you're flying in a plane. Um, so I was just curious. Uh, the answer is no. If you're in a passenger mm. plane, the, the curvature is from the window. It's very slight. You might be able to see it if you're in the pilot's deck. But the comments were all, there's no curvature because the earth is flat. And I decided to take this. I was like, okay, I got so many comments about it. I was like, let me see. Can I convince myself to be a flat earther? And I went to all the sites and everything. But every explanation required like five or 10 more explanations because the earth is not flat. So, yeah. you know, when you have all this evidence to the contrary, you have to make more evidence to refute the evidence. And it's, it's, it's just, just a rabbit hole. Like, like they say, um, do you, I, I guess as a final note, are you optimistic we will get out of this or is this getting worse? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. I um, my hopeful side wants to be optimistic, but my um, my sort of experience side is shocked and appalled at the willingness of large parts of our society to just go down this slippery slope of ignorance. I'm shocked. I'm, I am shocked at what has been um, happening with COVID, with this whole anti-vaxxer movement, movement, with the stupid stupidity, no, with the ignorance that so many people are embracing. I'm shocked at the level of intentional ignorance of some of our elected officials. I am simply appalled by it, appalled, appalled. I, uh, and for a number of years, I have felt that we are sliding into something, into a modern age, dark age, where it's gonna be a Mad Max world. I don't want that. <laughs> I really don't want that. I 
I have to believe that the better instincts in our natures will prevail and, um, and that will not happen. There are people in this world that for some reason or another are just willing to stop thinking, stop learning, stop sort of processing information and just suspend disbelief and go into some weird llama land. And I just don't, I do not understand this. I do not, I, I understand it on some level because you know, I have a degree in psychology, but I just, I find it extremely, extremely frightening. And I have family members who are, they're not flat earthers, but they believe in things that are just outrageous, unconscionable. <laughs> Thank God we live in different states. But, um, but I simply, I don't understand what has happened, what kind of a microbe or bacilla or, or something has taken, taken hold of us. Uh, but at the same time, I see young people like you and various others, you know, uh, wizards at technology who, um, who are doing a great job about opening up people's minds and, and teaching them, taking them to, to different places and, and so forth and so on. So I really, I don't know. Um, I think that the people who make this great technology have to develop a more of a social conscience. They have to uh, realize that with these products, with these platforms comes a certain amount of responsibility. You know, in some way, um, IT companies are a bit like gun manufacturers. Right? Their tool, the things that they produced can be used for, for good things or they can be used for extremely horrible things. And we have to, we have to t somehow address those issues. And um, the internet, the World Wide Web is a democratic platform. Everybody has equal access to it and you can do whatever you want with it. But, I mean, let's think of it uh, like a car. You know, people who don't know how to drive are not allowed to get behind the wheel. So I'm not saying that we need some sort of a course, but we need some, we need some sort of experience discerning ways of dealing with all of this and it has to be something that people yeah maybe they need to learn it in school maybe we need to take uh, an example from the swedes and and insist that we have these media literacy classes for our young people here but i frankly i don't know ask me that question in 10 years you know, maybe i'll have a better answer for you right now i'm sort of 50 50 i'm hoping for the best. I'm expecting the worst, but hoping for the best. That is one of my favorite quotes. I, 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 I really like that quote. Um, hopefully, you know, in 10 years, it is better. I, I, I think like we had discussed kind of before we started recording that technology is one of those things that we could have paradise right now. We could feed mm -hmm. every human being on the planet. Yes, we could. We don't, which is a shame, but we could. 
And the internet is kind of the same thing. We have access to basically, you know, I just imagine Isaac Newton time traveling to now, and he would be <laughs> like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Like I can, mm. you know, so um, hopefully it does get better. Um, I, I, I'm on, I'm rooting for the 50% of you that is optimistic. <laughs> Well, I am as well, but, <laughs> but uh, no, I ultimately, Anil, I have to say that I do have faith in, in mankind. I think we're a very flawed species, but I think that, um, I think that the majority of humanity is good and, uh, and just for that, it deserves to exist. And um, so yeah, so maybe maybe fifty one forty nine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, getting better. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for your time. I really enjoyed our. It's my pleasure. I enjoyed talking to you as well. Please reach out whenever. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much again. You've mm -hmm. cleared up many questions. I think a lot of us have had. I think it's going to make us more educated, both on pronunciation and the importance of pronunciation. Um, and I, I really do hope the news organizations get better at this because it is, it is frustrating. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's a detail, but, it's a, but it's a significant detail and it's, um, it's kind of, it colors the entire, uh, package, the entire story. And, uh, I think that, that they should pay better attention to it, you know, yeah. uh, I, I think we're we're now looking for it. So now we know who's saying it right and who's not mm -hmm. saying these yeah. places right. And and, and uh, hopefully they'll get some tweets or something that they're like, hey. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Thank, thank you very much again. I really You're more than welcome. It. Thank you so much. Thank you, Irina, for being a guest on the Fox Nomad podcast. And thank all of you for listening. I hope you're enjoying all of these extra episodes where we've been weekly i don't know if you've noticed that but we've been gone gone we've been going weekly a lot of late night editing sessions for me but it's been uh, good i hope you've been enjoying those episodes i've got a lot coming up a lot of guests a lot of very interesting people a lot of travel coming up too so you're gonna get a couple of uh on location podcasts from me as well so be sure that you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any of those also you know why not give five stars to the Fox and my podcast? I can tell you why not. There's no good reason why not. You should definitely do that. It's a really good way to help the podcast. It's free. It takes a second. And it also helps get the word out about the podcast. Like I mentioned last time, we've been hitting the top 50, the top 20 in North America, in Europe. It's been pretty amazing, honestly. And it's really all due to your support. All of you listening all of the great guests that we've had and just your interest and love of travel and tech. Um, I'm just really touched that so many of you share that and that we've been able to connect like this. So um, thank you very much. If you have any questions or feedback, you know to hit me up on Twitter at Fox Nomad. But until the next episode, I hope you have a great rest of your day.